Bible handy, won't you turn with me to Luke 16, please. Luke 16, that's where we're going to be this morning as we study through the Bible. I want to take some time and go ahead and welcome all of our visitors that we have here this morning. I see some faces I don't recognize, and it's always a joy to be able to worship with new people and new faces who are striving to study the Word and learn more about God. And we are so happy you chose to worship with us here at Fairview Park. Uh, we ask that if you have the chance to stick around a little bit so we can get to know you and uh, learn more about you. I am, the, uh, I am happy to be a part of this gospel meeting. Um, I am the third Zach, the latest Zach, so clearly the other two were missing something, and they figured the third time's the charm. <laughs> I kid. But being a part of this gospel meeting has really opened my eyes because I've been able to hear and sit at the feet of so many good gospel preachers and learn from their lessons and how they prepare and I've just been honored and really, I feel really excited to be able to be a part of that group. And I hope that one day, maybe if you all do it again, that I will be able to be asked to come back and preach. Maybe you'll see some improvement in a couple of years. But this morning, our focus is on the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. As with the theme of this, this weekend, we've all chosen, all chosen, chosen different, different stories that he taught throughout his ministry. And me, when we got the email... I was naive and simple, and I looked at that and said, you know, that's going to be a fun one. No one else is going to take that one. I'm going to choose that one. And then as I studied through it, I realized there's a lot behind this parable. There's a lot to learn and a lot to grow from. Because of that, it is such a fascinating study of what Jesus presents to us and to his disciples at this time. So if you'll read with me, we're going to begin in verse 19. Verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, send, to him my father's, send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that, they might warn, so that he might warn them, lest they also come to the place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither shall they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This parable gives us an interesting insight, not only in eternity, into eternity and death, but it also teaches us valuable lessons about what we should be doing while we are here on this earth. Have you ever wondered what it would be like if someone that you knew who had passed on could come back and talk to you for 15 minutes, could sit down with you and give you advice or warnings or lessons that they had learned after they had died? This parable is just that, at least that's what it is to me. We have the rich man who, if he could come back and tell his brothers, he would give them different wisdom than he had when he was alive. 
You see, he, had no, he now knows what, is, what becomes of his eternity. And from that, we learn some lessons. And so this morning, that's what I want to look at. Lessons from the grave. With that one singular S there. Lessons from the grave. What would someone teach us if they could come back after dying about our lives? What can we learn from? What can we change about our lives so that we can be more like Lazarus instead of like the rich man? And I think there are really three main lessons from this parable. Three things that the rich man or Abraham might teach us about our life. And the first comes in the very beginning of this parable. If you'll look back with me at night, in verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. What this parable does is it pits two exact opposites against each other. It has the rich man who has everything you could have ever imagined. He had fancy clothes, clothed in purple, which was often reserved for those high officials in society because it was so expensive. He had feasts every day. Think of, to me, when I read this, I imagine a Thanksgiving feast at every meal. And enough food to where it's falling off the table and he doesn't even notice. Not only that, but I can only imagine his house is mightily fine because he has a gate outside of where he lives. The rich man had everything in life. And it's a stark contrast to Lazarus. Lazarus, who is sitting at the end of this gate, probably in some shambles of clothing, but covered in boils and sores. He's in need, and he is desiring just what falls off of the rich man's table. He desires what might be on the ground that this man overlooks to just feed him and hold him over for a little while longer. Even more than that, he is in such a state where the dogs are coming up and licking his wounds, and he isn't trying to brush them away. These two men are so different in where they're at in life. And this continues on into death, too. You see, when the rich man dies, he is buried most likely lavishly, but he ends up in Hades or torment. Lazarus, when he dies, probably wasn't buried, but yet he was carried by angels to God's side. These two men are used as stark differences so that we can learn from them. And what we can see is that the rich man, when he's in torment, looks up and is able to see Abraham and Lazarus. And he just cries out to Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to drip water from his finger so that I might have relief. Again, this goes back to when Lazarus was expecting the drippings off of this man's table. Here it is, the rich man is just desiring the drippings of water from Lazarus' hand. Abraham tells him no. He denies this request because the rich man received his good things in life. But now he had to deal with the bad. And likewise, Lazarus received bad in life, and now he is comforted. There's a lesson here. That if the rich man could come back, I think he would teach us that what you serve on earth determines your eternity. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I do not want us to come across with the idea that wealth is inherently sinful or that poverty is inherently righteous because that is not the message of this parable. What you see, though, is a man who has devoted himself solely 
to himself in the rich man. He has devoted himself to making sure his life on earth was as comfortable, as easy as possible, instead of serving God with what he had been blessed with. What you serve on earth determines your eternity. Jesus teaches about this not only in this parable, but throughout all of his parables and all of his teachings. Nick mentioned about it on Friday with the rich fool. There's the rich young ruler earlier in Luke. And in the beginning of Luke 16, we actually have a verse that speaks directly to this. Luke 16 and verse 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. I think you can put anything in there besides money and still have a true statement. You cannot serve God and anger. You cannot serve God and greed. You cannot serve God and lust. We can only serve one thing. And oftentimes we may desire to serve God. We may desire to do what's right in his eyes. But we may also desire to serve ourselves. And we want to please both ends of the spectrum. And as we try to do that, we end up pleasing neither side. Because as we're trying to please God, we may feel like, well, my life isn't easy. It's not comfortable. It's not what I desire it to be. And we may feel regretful sometimes. Or we are so in, in, seeking, in searching of our comfort and our, our wealth and our pleasure that we completely throw away serving God, except when someone brings it up or except for services on Sunday and Wednesday. No one can serve two masters. It's impossible. Because when something starts to go wrong, you're going to turn to the master that makes your life easier. Or make you feel happier. And sometimes that's not going to be God. Sometimes that is going to be wealth, like the rich man. And when the rich man turned to his wealth for his entirety of his life, we can see the effects that has on others. Because this rich man who had everything was blinded to the one man at the edge of his gate. The man he probably walked past every single day of his life. He was blinded to his needs because he was only focused on himself. When we think about our own lives, about what stops us from serving God or choosing him as our one master, it's easy to point out a few things that might get in our way. I might stop serving God because of selfishness. I don't want to serve God because it's difficult, and if anything makes my life difficult, well, it's really not worth it. I don't want to go out of my own way to do something that is hard or difficult. I'd rather have something easy and more comfortable. Serving God might be awkward when I talk to people, and so I don't want to be awkward. So because of that selfish desire to remain comfortable in my own life, I'm not going to serve God. Sometimes my pride gets in my way of serving God. I look at what I've done the accolades I've accomplished. And I start to think, well, look at what I've been able to do. I've been able to do so much here on earth that I didn't need God for any of that. That was all me. That was the way I was able to speak, the athletic feats I was able to have. And my pride starts to push God out of the picture of my life because, again, it starts to focus more on what I've done and how can I get more recognition for my deeds. Sometimes I choose not to serve God because of jealousy. I look at what other people have, people who might not be serving God and see, well, their life looks pretty easy. 
They look happy. They look like they have plenty of material things. Why can't my life be like that? And again, I do not think that Jesus here is teaching that we have to give up all of our material belongings or that material belongings are a bad thing. But when we start to focus on those material belongings or possessions, it starts to cloud God from our lives because it begins to push him out of our focus and put materialism there instead. The rich man exemplifies this in his life. He tried to serve two masters, and he failed because he ended up only serving himself. No one can serve two masters because when we try to, we will end up like the rich man if we don't serve God. And that may determine our eternity to be in torment rather than Abraham's bosom. Look at me now in verse 22, please. Verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. Lazarus in his torment has a request for God. And really, he has two requests throughout this entire story, but I want to focus right now on his first request. His request is for Lazarus to come down and drop water into his mouth so that he might have some sort of relief from the anguish he is facing. Abraham denies this. He says no. And he gives two reasons for this denial. The first reason is that that the rich man had already gotten his good things in life. And now he was dealing with his torment. And likewise, Lazarus had dealt with his torment in life and now was receiving his comfort. And then he gives them another reason to why this request is going to go unanswered. There is a chasm fixed between the two places. And this is a fascinating image because while this is a parable, you can get a glimpse of eternity from it. And the glimpse is simple. There is something in the way of going between torment and paradise. The rich man is where he is at for eternity. He cannot go to Abraham's bosom. Likewise, Lazarus cannot leave Abraham's bosom to go to torment or to Hades. And so there's a lesson that Abraham is teaching us here about death. And that's the grave finalizes our eternity. The grave finalizes our eternity. What I have done on in earth and in my life, finishes when I die. Because once I am dead, I am not going to be able to change the actions of my life. I will have to answer and give an account for everything that I have done on this earth. There's no amount of speech or persuasion that is going to change a mind because my actions will speak for themselves. We see this with the rich man and Lazarus. The grave has finalized their eternity. Neither one can go to the other. They're where they're at forever. And sometimes this may be confusing in some senses. 
It may be hard to understand, but I think this, the idea is simple. Because when we die, we can't change what we've done. And sometimes I think we struggle with this because, like I said before, that means I can't talk my way out of it. I can't offer up excuse or repent after I die. Because once I'm dead, that's it. My actions are done. And I think we, when we look at the rich man, I don't think he would have imagined his eternity being spent in torment. Honestly, I think when he lived his life, he probably thought, well, my life is good. That means I must be doing something good because God is blessing me. So why change? And why would his, my, torment be any, or my eternity be in torment instead of paradise? Likewise, I think we have that same issue. In our lives, when we start to focus on what's in front of us, rather than the, long, the, the big picture, rather than focusing on eternity, which is a lot longer than our lives here on earth, we are more focused on the fleeting earthly pleasures, on what, may, what might make our lives here easier or simpler. And we become like the rich man, so focused on that, that we start to stop our preparations for eternity. Because what matters is only what's in front of us. We do this often because it's hard to plan for something we can't see. It's hard to plan for something that we really don't know much about. But as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, and what this parable is teaching us that, is that our life should be a preparation for eternity. Because what I receive here on this earth is going to determine my eternity. What I serve on this earth will determine my eternity. And once I die, I cannot change what I have served. And I would much rather be Lazarus dealing with some torment and some anguish while I am alive than dealing with that torment for all of eternity. There's another fascinating thing about this image here of eternity in the grave. The second request that the rich man has for Abraham is that Lazarus go to his brothers. Abraham, please just send Lazarus to my brothers so they don't end up in anguish with me. One of the fascinating things about this parable, one that I really had never noticed until I studied through it, the rich man is able to clearly remember his life on earth. And so I can only assume that Lazarus clearly remembers his life on earth as well. What we see here is that our memories will directly affect our torment or even our paradise. The rich man here remembers his brothers. He remembers his family who is going through the same motions he went through. And now he sees where that ends up. And there has to be torment knowing your loved ones, your brothers, your family will end up in that same anguish, that same flame that he is in. So the torment in Hades there might not just be the flames, but also the added element of my brothers are going to be here. Likewise, I can only assume that Lazarus in heaven remembers the trials he went through on earth. And now he is able to have comfort and peace in paradise. His life was rough, yes, but his eternity is, is comfortable and wonderful. Again, with this being a parable, we can't say this is for certain, but I do think this should 
aid our understanding of eternity? Would I rather my eternity be aided by memories of pain and anguish and sorrow looking at loved ones I know who might end up there with me? Or do I want my eternity aided by memories of a life that was, diff- that was hard but focused on pleasing God and ends up in an eternity of paradise and comfort? We have to be willing to ask ourselves that question is, do I want to be more like the rich man or do I want to be like Lazarus in eternity? Look with me now in verse 26. Or I apologize, verse 27. And he said, this is rich man speaking, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he might warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The request here is simple. He just wants his brothers to be saved. And he just wants Abraham to allow Lazarus to give them that added extra sign of where eternity might be. And Abraham's message is clear and true. And he says, no, that's not going to happen. So what we can learn from this is simple. We don't need a new sign. Abraham says no because his brothers already have Moses and the prophets. They already have what they need to understand where their faith should be. They already have what they need to understand what their life should be prioritized around. They don't need a new sign of someone coming back from the dead. Notice this isn't saying that we won't get a new sign or that things won't happen in our lives that add to our faith or to our focus on God. But what is being said is that we don't need that. We have been given everything we need right here in our Bibles. Oftentimes we may end up looking for a new sign though because sometimes we may feel that our old sign, what we have already, is archaic. It doesn't make much sense to me. It doesn't really apply to my life in this 21st century. And so I need a new one. I need something that actually applies to this world. Or sometimes we may look for a new sign because this one makes it seem like my life has to be difficult and hard. And I can't really understand some of the things in it. So give me something that is easy to understand. Give me something that makes me happy to actually fulfill it. We begin to look for that new sign based on the concepts that we imagine should be given to us. We don't need a new sign. No matter what might drive us to look for a new one, we don't need a new one. And perhaps the most telling thing about Abraham's refusal to the rich man is when he tells him that his brothers wouldn't even listen to Lazarus even if he was raised from the dead. Because if they weren't willing to listen to Moses and the prophets... Why on earth would they listen to something else? That same message applies to us. If we're not willing to listen to the examples of Christ and the apostles and the promises that were fulfilled from the Old Testament to the New Testament, why on earth would we listen to something new or exciting in our own eyes? Why on earth would we listen to something that God may send our way if we're not willing to listen to what He has already sent to us or given us. 
The answer is we're probably going to be like the brothers and not listen. Because we're still only focused on serving ourselves. Instead of truly listening and seeking out God and all that he has given us. We don't need a new sign because we have been given the example of Christ and his life. We've been given the example of his gospel and his ministry and the example of his death. And if we aren't willing to learn from that and examine that and understand that he has been sent for our salvation and look at the promises that he fulfilled in his own lifetime that were foretold so many years before him, then why would we listen to anything at all? This parable is truly fascinating. It talks both about life and about death. It talks about eternity and what may happen to us. But it gives us three main lessons about our life that I think we should all learn from and apply. What we serve while we are alive will determine our eternity. Who I choose to serve, my master, whether I choose to serve myself or serve God, will determine where I end up for the rest of eternity. The grave finalizes my eternity. I cannot change my actions after I die. It's not going to happen. So I must be able to prepare and plan for eternity while I'm still alive. Focusing on God. Pleasing Him and doing what He has asked me to do in His words. And finally, I don't need a new sign to supplement the one I already have. I don't need a new message, a new gospel, a new revelation to teach me anything more about God and about Jesus. Because I've got something that is enough for me right here. This parable on the surface is, is simple, but as soon as we start to dig deep through it, we can understand that everything it teaches us applies to our own salvation. That if I want an eternity in paradise and in heaven, I am going to live as God wants me to live and as Christ exemplified on this earth. I appreciate your attention this morning. At this time, we're going to go ahead and be dismissed for our classes.